I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the Christmas edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth Hanna, and joining me are Jonathan Bradley. Hello. And Adam McKendrick. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Very festive again. We will just complain about this. We're recording this for the second time because we have just recorded the first take and it didn't save, which was a real Christmas treat for all of us, especially Jonathan Bradley, who's hosting us in his living room before he goes out for the 12 pubs of Christmas, which he's hoping to avoid becoming the 11 or 10 pubs of Christmas at this uh, stage. It could be seven or eight pubs of Christmas at this <laughs> stage. This will be a little bit more of a whistle-stop tour of that uh, Ulster win over Leinster than it was originally, but um, we'll still cover all the main points. Obviously, Ulster school scored 42 points, fielded four debutants against a much stronger, on paper at least, Leinster side. And we look ahead as well to Friday's home fixture against Connacht. So, Ulster went down there, down to Leinster, scored six tries, scored 42 points, still managed to lose by 12. And Adam, there were a few records that, that went. Yeah, so the combined 96 points is the second highest ever total in the Pro 14. The combined 14 tries was the joint highest ever scored in a Pro 14 match and Ulster scoring 42 points is the highest points total of a losing team in a Pro 14 game ever. It didn't feel like it at the time. Like It felt like a really weird game. I would say probably crazy is the best way to describe it but it really didn't feel like a record-breaking game. Crazy was the word that I, that I had written down. It's, uh, it's funny how word perfect we're doing this from the first day. Jonathan, how exactly was that game so open? How did it unfold like that? I think a lot of it was to do with the nature of the scoring or the sequence of the scoring, I suppose. like Leinster really had done an awful lot towards maximising whatever they were going to get from the game. Come the sort of 50th minute, there was something that Alan O'Connor alluded to afterwards that they did take their foot off the pedal somewhat. And then I suppose the point of difference that you have from Ulster is that in past games, that last half hour would have just, once the opposition took the foot off the pedal, could have just floated along and everybody sort of went home with what they expected. But instead we saw a bit more of a, a fight back and you know they scored the game's final three tries for the last five and played an awful lot. Pretty good stuff in that last sort of 20, 25 minutes. Um they were able to hold on to the ball a lot more. I suppose the possession stats virtually flipped on their head from the first half to the second half when um, both teams were averaging over 70% possession either side of the turn. I think once Ulster started to play with a bit more confidence and once Leinster weren't holding on to the ball for four minutes at a time, um, you saw both sides really have distinct purple patches. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dispute that. I don't think Leinster necessarily took their foot off the gas. I don't think Leinster are a team that allow themselves to do that. I mean, you look at the guys that they were bringing on. You've got Roman Salanoa coming on to make his debut. You've got Conor O'Brien coming off the bench. You've got Hugh Sullivan coming on. Kieran Frawley. You know, these are guys who are trying to make an impact. You look at what Will Connors has done this year. Keelan Doris. Um, obviously, we know. Jordan Larmer broke through last year, but even taking a step on this year. You know, these guys are trying to make an impact in a star-studded team. So, for me, I don't think they're coming on and thinking, all right, we're just on to see out the game and see what we can do. I think they're trying to come on and say, all right, how can we keep Leinster at this high level? So, sure, maybe whenever they get to 54 points, they kind of think, right, 
games won, there, there's maybe a couple of guys. But I don't necessarily think Leinster took their foot off the gas. I think it's more, as you say, Ulster improved as that game went on. I mean, in the second half, you know, Ulster flipped the possession on on their head, on its head. Uh, they flipped the territory on its head, held on to the ball. I thought they just sort of grew into the game. I thought there were a lot of guys who had much better second half performances than first half. And I think that's how the the game sort of turned around and how Ulster actually won the second half, 28-21, you know. Don't don't put it down to Leinster. I, I think Ulster actually just had the better of the second half, in all honesty. I live by a code of always agreeing with Alan O'Connor, and he said it, so... <laughs> what does it say about Ulster as a team and Ulster's development over the last 12 months? The first game of 2019, they lost 47 at Leinster and didn't have that sort of comeback. They didn't take a bonus point. They haven't taken a bonus point from down there in four years. So what's different about this Ulster team than those last few years? Well, I don't think it's insignificant that they've taken something from every game this year, including those three defeats. You know, we've talked a lot in the past about maximising your returns from various situations. And this is one of them where (laughs) taking a point all things considered, is maximising your return. It's a, as you say, it's yeah. a point more than they've got at the RDS since um, 2015. So I think it is more that mentality that um, Dan McFarland's tried to sort of instil in the group. And it would have been, I think, you know, 48 minutes, 49 minutes, whenever Ulster probably have a better spell of possession than they'd had throughout the game. They're making use of that... Um, Inside ball, sort of tip on pass from the forwards, getting some gains there. A few big carries from the likes of Greg Jones. And they had a good be spell, and then they give away a penalty for in at the side and sort of a legal clear out at the same time. And that's when Fergus McFadden cross kicks into the arms of Robbie Henshaw, mm-hmm. gives it out to Kane Keller. And I think that spell would have been pretty demoralising at, you know, Leinster playing champagne rugby, so to speak, and then bring on. Kane Healy and Josh van der Fleer here, two of the most informed players in Ireland, really. And um, at that stage, you're sort of thinking, right, it was 64 7 in Thomond last year, so how many more did Leinster need to inflict <laughs> a record? And instead, what you saw was a fight back, and it didn't seem like there was much on for them, but as much as they probably got a bit fortunate with their third try that sort of set them on their way to the bonus point. A fairly ropey pass in the middle of a good performance from uh, from Scott Penny, uh, just with the intercept. Instead of just being like, this is one of those harrowing days, they just dug in and they got a wee bit of traction from their mall, which had been fairly good in the first half as well. As I say, they got more sort of purchase of the breakdown, some good carrying and some just nice and tagging, attacking intent. So there were two tries on the night, Adam, from uh, Greg, Go- Greg-, Greg Jones, Ulster's best player in the night. He's a band bridge man, you should have been getting his name right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought Greg was the standout Ulster player, to be honest. Um, he had a he had a bit of a shaky first half, although they, didn't everybody, but in the second half he really stepped up, um, took over the carrying duties in a big way, uh, led the forwards, in, in meters gained and I think that's the kind of performance that you were looking from a guy like him you know somebody who's kind of been on the periphery of the first team for a while now after starting the season 
with a few uh, with a few games, uh, but to come back in and to play like that, especially in the second half, and to get to do exactly what you want your number eight to do, you know, from five meters out, he crashes over for the bonus point try. He's in the middle of that mall that rampages over, um, and he really tidied up his tackling in that second half. That's the kind of performance I think you're wanting from those guys on the periphery. You know, you're looking at guys like uh, Dave O'Connor. Uh, who I thought was excellent as well, uh, Greg Jones, guys like them who you're probably going to be relying on a bit more over the Six Nations or whenever there's injuries. You want them whenever they get their opportunity to step up, and I think Jones really did in a big way. You know That's exactly what Dan McFarland was probably wanting from those guys in particular, and he got it. Dave O'Connor, I thought, was brilliant. What was he? He made 23 tackles in that game, which is outstanding. You know, For a guy making his first start, Coming from club rugby last year with Lansdowne, he's getting a chance uh, and he's taken it with both hands by coming in, tackling everything that moved, um, getting involved at the line-out. He, he was Ulster's leading line-out taker as well. So it's, it's guys like that that you need to be showing that they can step in and do a job during those Six Nations periods. And then if they impress then they can step up into an even more senior role if needed. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, I think Dan McFarland will be very happy with what they provided. Mm. Johnny, what did you make of Dave and Alan, the, the O'Connor partnership, on what was a, a nice day for them? Dave making his first start and Alan his uh, 100th cap for Ulster? You got the sort of expected aggression from them early on, um, hit some rocks with conviction early on. What I was really impressed with uh, Dave O'Connor was his work at the line-out. You know, um, Alan described him as jumping like a salmon afterwards to claim a few. I think he took a good number for Ulster. He got up and disrupted one of Leinster's, although the ball did come back on on their side. And I thought it was like, you know, we talk about the four debutants and he's only not in that conversation by virtue of three minutes that he got mm. against Scarlet's, you know, so... You can certainly lump him in with those guys, and he's obviously taken a different, different path coming from Landstein and then onto the development deal. But um, the second row mix is interesting because you know Alan O'Connor played in that game, but has played a good bit of rugby going back to the Bath game. Really, when Sam Carter got injured, Kieran Treadwell, Ian Henderson, Ian Henderson will be away for the Six Nations before Sam Carter gets back from injury. So. There's opportunities there in the second row, and I think um, certainly on the back of that performance, I think Dave O'Connor's earned a, another another look in mm-hmm. the I suppose games during that um, January February period. Yeah. So before we get on to the, we were the the four debutants, um, a little word for Bill Johnson, who we didn't mention in the first record, but uh, twelve points, fourth start. How's he been been settling in? Well, he kept superbly um, down in down the RDS. And to be honest, I think that actually played quite a big part in Ulster being able to keep that scoreboard ticking over because, you know, the first kick he had was a touchline conversion. And if he misses that, you know, you're down to five points. If he misses a couple more, you know, it's, it's just that psychology thing of the further you are behind the scoreboard, the more difficult it is to get yourself back up to score more points at the other end. So... Bill Johnson, I think it's it's very hard to compare him to Billy Burns, and you have to do that in terms of you know who, who is your starting fly half in the big games. Um, Billy Burns has played all his games this season with John Cooney, 
Whereas Bill Johnson, I think, has played all but one of his games with Dave Shannon. So, mm-hmm. you know, the way Cooney's playing this year, he gives Billy Burns an armchair ride and Burns then plays well because of that. Bill Johnson, if you give him Cooney inside him, in that one game against the Scarlets, was his best performance of the season so far. And I think mm-hmm. it's no coincidence that he had John Cooney inside him. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, yesterday at the RDS, I thought... He did grand. I thought he was fine. Defensively, was a little bit shaky, but then from a fly half, you're never really expecting, you know, sensational defence, so I'm not going to criticise him too much for that. Uh, But I think if he gets a run with John Cooney, you'll see the best out of him, which is probably the reason why he's he's not really pushing Billy Burns at the moment. Mm -hmm. But that's just one of those ones where he's got to make the most of his chances whenever he gets them, and whether that's trying to make an impact on the game anyway I, I don't know but right right now I think it's very hard to compare him to Billy Burns whenever you've got uh, you've almost got two halfback pairings separate and the injuries obviously there was a, a bad one Angus Curtis didn't look good no it was a fairly horrible moment to be honest um, he's had a tough run with injuries and you do feel bad for him because he plays with such mm-hmm. sort of determination. You know, I, I don't know what height he is, but um, I think in his head he, he must be six foot four or something. He sort of carries with the same level of um, intense that you would see from the likes of Stuart McCluskey in the centre, you know. And he's shipped injuries in the past and been out for a long while. And he obviously looks like he's going to spend another fair chunk on the sidelines, you know, off the back of what was a tough carry. He's got no, no fear whatsoever about going right into the teeth of... Uh, opposition defences and you could obviously you know you could hear um how bad it was just from his his reaction to it you know over the top of the crowd and i think that was why they actually stopped the game because it, w- it wasn't given as a penalty so it restarted with a with a leinster scrum and it wasn't checked by the team or anything i don't think so it was um yeah it was one of those it was, it was bad enough that they just stopped it stopped the game straight away and i think maybe you know what'll be an overlooked Part of the game is, at that point, I think Leinster were still up, you know, 33 points. And when you have an, an injury like that to one of your teammates, I think it would have been very easy to just sort of go within yourselves a wee bit and just sort of try and get through the last half hour without mm-hmm. anything else terrible happening. And yeah. to come back and get the point after what was like a, you know, a seven-minute delay and seeing one of your teammates go off on a stretcher like that um, was commendable too, like, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob Little also went off, but little information just to flare up of his uh, great his previous there, injury. Yeah, it's, it's, you shouldn't be making puns about injuries, Gareth. Why? What did I say? Little information. Oh yeah, uh, very good. Very um, clever, Gareth. Yeah, so I think it, it looked like you know it happened in the process of making a tap tackle, so it looked like one of those where it was just you know he put his arm out to sort of soften the blow, and then all his weight goes through the elbow and shoulder, and I think that was the t- same type of injury that he'd been suffering with from that bath game onwards and that was his first game back and disappointed for him as well not unlike Angus Curtis he's had his fair share of injuries Mm -hmm. and uh, has been out for various spells and you know his first I suppose his first senior start at 15 at any rate and I'm sure he would have been looking to make an impression and put his hand up as an option Mm -hmm. there moving forward because he's somebody that has played well when he's been able to play this season you know so because he went off so early, that meant Ethan McElroy got a lot longer for his debut than he will have been expecting, um, but an hour on the pitch. 
impressive all round? Really impressive. Um, especially given the way the game started for him and then the way he finished it out because his first involvement or one of his first involvements was throwing a no-look pass into touch which will no doubt shake your confidence considerably especially you know making your first appearance for for your team um and then he uh, he was uh, he missed the tackle I think for Fergus McFadden's try uh, right at the end of the first half but he came out in the second half and he looked like a different man mm-hmm. you know he was so composed he took a couple high balls early which really settled him into the second half he had a couple really good runs he picked some really good options whenever he got the ball deep you know there was no uh, slowing down whenever he got to contact it was just charging into contact picking the shoulder and going for it backing his own instinct and then the role he played in getting that fourth try, he effectively created that fourth try from Greg Jones because he took the high ball and for some reason Leinster stood off him, I don't know why, and he just went, thank you very much, I'm going to run down the touchline here. Mm. Chips Gibson Park and it's only for Rob Carney scrambling across really well in defence that McElroy doesn't score himself. But, you know, it's, it's backing himself I think that's a big thing. You've, you've got to bear in mind that this is a guy who is nine months removed from starring for Methody in the school's cup final. Like, So he's a young guy. He's just out of school. He missed out on an academy contract, mm-hmm. but still worked his butt off to get into Ulster's pre-season camp, to play in uh, one of the pre-season friendly games against Glasgow. He's done enough in the Celtic Cup to earn a spot in pre in training again, enough to be named on the bench for this game, and then he's come in. And he's had a really good second half performance. I mean, for for a guy who could have potentially walked away from the game whenever he didn't get the academy contract, I don't know what his mindset was, but he maybe he could have done. Instead, he backed himself. He worked hard. He played well at a lower level, and now he's been roared with a mm-hmm. call up where he ended up marking. Uh, 95 capped Ireland international Rob Carney at the RDS arena mm. and in that second half he looked like he wasn't making his first appearance for yeah. Ulster he looked like he was making his 50th his 60th appearance for mm. Ulster he just looked so calm and composed and it was really good to see him bounce back mm. from that sort of shaky start and that's the kind of thing that yeah. you really like seeing from those young guys That level of performance from Ethan is probably not not too surprising for uh, whoever saw him in the Schools Cup last year, given just how impressive he was. But that made it surprising that he didn't get an academy contract. Why, why is he not in the academy? It's one of those ones where you've only got so many positions in academy in the academy that you can offer. So you can't just say, here's 10 back three players who are, uh, who are good enough to be in the academy, because you know, <laughs> then it starts getting into numbers of, not all of those 10 guys are going to make it. Mm-hmm. And bear in mind that you're also trying to convince the Ireland uh, Academy selectors that you're worthy of your spot. You know, whenever whenever we go down to these Ulster Academy open days that they give to the media, which are really insightful and really help us, um, you're talking to Kieran Campbell and he's saying to you, you know, you're not trying to convince Ulster that you're worthy of your spot. You're trying to convince Ireland that you're worthy of a spot in the Ulster Academy. You're competing against everybody in Ireland, not just Ulster, for that spot in the Academy. Mm. And if you're not worth that spot in the Academy, you're not going to get it. So I think 
it's one of those ones where there could be X number of guys down in another province who are in your position and just seem to have that more raw talent than you. It's not a reflection on the other guys in your province. It's a reflection on the nationwide. But I think McElroy is one of those testaments to, you know, sometimes the system gets it wrong. Sometimes you maybe are worthy of a contract whenever you didn't get one. And it's all about that hard work. It's all about making sure that, okay, you didn't get in the academy this time, but go into the sub-academy. Impress. Do everything you can at club level to get into Ulster A. Do everything you can in Ulster A to convince them that you're worth going into pre-season. Convince them that you're worth getting called up for an Interpro. And then whenever you get go on the Interpro game, do as well as you can. You know That was the thing for me. I think mm-hmm. even though he didn't get the academy contract, he still worked really hard and that's what got him in, into that position uh, mm-hmm. to play down the RDS. I think he's obviously got the right attitude. Like, you know, he really played without fear, I guess, on Friday night and overcame those early mistakes. I think he lost one in contact as well and, and just sort of playing what's in front of him, playing the game that he knows, real willingness to counter-attack off uh, what few box kicks there were in the game. It's not an exact science, the academy, as much yeah. as we were all surprised having watched him. I suppose everybody else sorry not everybody else the people that are making the decisions have seen him a lot more because we've only yeah. seen him in schools cup games whereas they probably have video of genuinely every game that he plays mm-hmm. and Angus Kernahan is the obvious example of somebody that's gone from sub-academy then into the academy and you know he was another guy that played played on Friday night Eric Sullivan as well you know Eric Sullivan was Leinster sub-academy mm-hmm. and now people are talking about him as being unlucky to not get Ireland recognition yeah. this week. So it's not like, you know, not getting an academy place is not it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. As long as you react positively to it. And those guys that we mentioned seem to have all done that. Yeah. The two Bal- uh, former Ballymena Academy lads uh, then came on together. Played about half an hour. Stuart Moore and Azer Allison. How'd, how'd they get on? Yeah, Azer I thought was really good. Especially as someone who has been talked about as being one of the next big Ulster forwards that could potentially come through the academy. Mm-hmm. And I thought he had a really good impact from the bench, which is all you can ask of a forward. The stats have him down as having beaten six defenders in, what, half an hour's work, which is incredible from a from a forward's perspective. So that's, that's the kind of thing you want to see from Azer Allison, you know, given that... He's come up through the under-20s. We've seen what he can do with them. And he's been talked about as one of the guys that could potentially be a mainstay of this uh, this back row for the future. So that was that was pleasing to see. And Stuart Murr, again, another guy who's come through the under-20s. We know what he's capable of with that try against Australia in, in the World Championships over the summer. But for, for me, for the... As Johnny said, for the young guys coming on making their debuts as a whole, it's that playing with no fear. And Stuart Murr's offload, which is possibly one of the best offloads I've seen from an Ulster player ever, was the was the epitome of that. You know, riding the tackle, 
and flinging it out the back, backhanded out to the wing. Instead of playing within themselves, these guys came on and they really tried to play with expression, with some flair. They really tried to bring something different to the game. Rather than going out and trucking it up every time, shoveling the pass on to the next guy every time because they were too afraid to make a mistake or they were too afraid to get involved and do something wrong. They were really trying to get stuck in. Allison was straight in making carries that, you know... Guys maybe in the past would have come on and they would have, again, just tried to hide in the defensive line. I think that, that for me, really stood out that these guys were trying to bring their own identity to the game. And that's probably something that Dan McFarland mm-hmm. will be very happy with as well, given that you know afterwards we were asking him about the debutants and he said, what you're saying to them beforehand is, just go out and play as we know you can play. Mm-hmm. Don't try and play within yourselves because you think that's what we want to yeah. see. We want to see you being yourselves. And I think that's what we mm-hmm. saw. And that's credit to the, the coaches, I suppose, and giving them the confidence and, as you say, the freedom to do that. Johnny, you'd uh, pinpointed Stuart Moore last week as the one that you thought was most likely to get a debut this week. Is he the one that you reckon is most likely to appear again? He's certainly the one that everybody was talking about, probably on the back of that try after or against Australia. Yeah, I think one of the sort of curses is the wrong word because it's a really good thing to have. The versatility of some of the Ulster backs means that you don't maybe get the same amount of chances in the centre as you otherwise would because obviously you can put Fadas in there, you can put Ludic in there, Addison as well, obviously when he's fit, um, or sorry, not fit, uh, not suspended. There's maybe not a great deal of opportunities, but he's somebody that I'd love to see more of at that level because, you know, I've seen him play more, more than the other guys that made their debuts last night, whether that be in school rugby or club rugby or playing for the Ireland under-20s. And he just seems to have this real sort of innate ability to make half a yard where it doesn't look like there's a half yard there. And that might seem insignificant, but you know, just the difference of being tackled on the gain line compared to just finding that outside shoulder and pressing you know, half a yard, whatever, a foot beyond mm-hmm. the gain line. It's a real sort of... Just the ability of his foot to use his footwork and that sort of clever appreciation of taking everything that's on offer. And that's as well as the sort of offloading ability and stuff that we saw. You know, he looks to me to be like a real sort of proper rugby playing creative type center, you know, Mm. and I think he, like, I think he could be a really good player. There's a difference between these guys making their debuts down the RDS compared to other years though in other years Ulster have given debuts to guys in the RDS and they may be given more debuts mm-hmm. in the RDS than they did last night but the difference is you feel like these guys could go on to more you feel like these guys aren't just making their token appearance for the season and you'll never see them again you feel like these guys have just made the first step on potentially playing a bit more like Ulster under Dan McFarland now have a track record of giving these guys chances and then once they impress, continuing to give them chances. Like Ulster gave debuts to eight academy players last year, and of those eight players, six of them have featured this year. And one of them, one of them is Marcus Ray, who's been injured most mm-hmm. of the season, so hasn't even been able to play. So I think that's the most exciting thing coming from the weekend is that not only have these guys now made their first appearances in the Ulster team. They, they actually have passive progression, whereas in previous years you just knew that these guys were making a one-off appearance and you probably wouldn't see them until maybe the last few games of the year where there was nothing riding on them. For for once, you're looking at these games and you're thinking, okay, he's made his debut 
and this is the first of several because Dan McFarlane has that track record of giving guys opportunities whenever they impress and that in turn gives them a different mindset to I'm not just coming in for this week I'm coming in to make my debut and if I impress if I do what the coaches want of me then I will get more opportunities and that's just where that whole mindset shift Mm. comes in that we've been talking about about how this isn't just you know guys filling in while other guys get rested. This is guys getting a genuine chance to impress and a genuine chance to make the coaches think we could use you next uh, next week. Before we move on to Connett, Jack Reagan made an albeit more brief debut, but uh, well worthy of a mention. Yeah, I was what, uh, six foot six and seventeen and a half stone. Like you're gonna put yourself about when you come on. He did that. He hit rocks. Well, early on, I thought he did well in the line out in the mall that was working well at the time. And pleased for him, obviously, just because I think you know the last time he was on the bench was a year and a half ago now, and he didn't didn't get on in the last game of John O'Gibbs' um, off forgotten tenure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he'll have been delighted for every one of those ten minutes. It wasn't as long as everybody else got, but I thought he did make a good impact as well. And you know, as we said before with Dave O'Connor, second row is somewhere where there is probably. Um, room for somebody to take a chance in the coming months well time will tell when when all those guys get their next chance so uh, also to get next game then Friday night home to Connacht obviously much will depend as it did on Friday night on the lineups of the two teams but you would fancy that Ulster will get get back to winning ways yeah I would expect to see not too dissimilar a lineup to the one that we saw against Scarlets a few weeks ago just with those World Cup players obviously completely ruled out by the fact that they need two weeks off but the other guys can come back in and you've really got a run of four games now before you have another break for the Six Nations so you know they, they can probably do that those four games in a row with the European ones mm-hmm. and these two interpros those ones that are allowed to by the RFU so I think we'll see a strong lineup. obviously we're recording before Connacht have played Monster but you look at their lineup, and you know Bondiaki's in it. Um, Jack Cardy's on the bench, so they've gone with a few of their World Cup players this weekend, which then in turn obviously rules them out of the next two games. So, it'll be interesting to see what sort of Connacht lineup we got. I've seen a fair bit of Connacht the last few weeks, just in the European games, and they've been in a strange sort of run of form because um, they've won impressively twice in Europe so far, but in games that they very <laughs> almost could have. have re- uh, not very almost could have lost very nearly did lose mm. uh, required some fairly stirring comebacks in both <laughs> and you know their away form's not been great I think they've beat um, beat Ospreys and Dragons who we know are probably no great shakes and gone away to Gloucester there last time out and uh, been beaten we know that they have this bizarre um, stretch of not winning in England but Likewise, they had the bizarre stretch of not winning here until um, until last year, and I think that's important as well because the players do, uh, well, Dan McFarland as well for obvious reasons, um, seem still to be carrying that loss. Obviously, it's their last one at home, and I think they'll be keen to put that right and then carry that momentum into Munster and back into Europe. Because for all we said about this point last night being more than expected, that's Peels and insignificance then if you don't get the eight points mm-hmm. that you're expected to get from the other two games because obviously then you're still sort of below par if you like for the three games which I think whenever you asked the other day we said it was probably about eight points so mm-hmm. 
So we're recording here first thing on Saturday morning, so what we can say looking ahead to this game uh, right now is uh, not an awful lot, given that we don't know much about the build-up, but by the time this goes out, hopefully on Monday evening, we will have had the Ulster press conference. Here's what one of the coaches has to say looking ahead and, the game. Uh, I think... Uh, um, there'll be a, a few different guys getting an opportunity this week, so uh, there'll be some. Uh, there'll certainly be some changes, yeah. Me, me, yeah, me particularly, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was really disappointing last year. Um, um, I remember the game um, vividly, and uh, you know we had a few few problems in the in the set piece. Um, early on in that game, and uh, and they they got a try, um, uh, which included an illegal blocking line. Um, then we obviously got the red card at the um, yellow card, then red card. Um, played with 13 men and, and 14 men for the whole of the second half, so uh, it became a very difficult game, and uh, we ended up losing that, which was really disappointing. Yeah. Well, I say revenge. Look, we were we, we played a lot better in the in the in the playoff game, but uh, you know it still hurt that we lost here earlier earlier in the season, um, and uh, we, we we did a pretty good job in the in the playoff game. Though, but uh, you know Connor came and they were they were uh, physical with us and um, you know very competitive and, and made a good game of it. And it was pretty tight in the end, really. So we're, we're, we'll expect a, a huge game. They'll be really disappointed that they lost at home to, to Munster last week, and uh, you know uh, they, they've got two, um, three, four tough games coming up with us away and then Leinster away and then Montpellier um, away, followed by Toulouse at home. I think Toulouse, at, or, or is it Toulouse at home and then Montpellier away? I think it might be. So uh, you know they've got four tough games coming coming up. Um, so it'll be it'll be really important uh, to them that they play well this week against us. And that's pretty much us then for our uh, second run of our Christmas episode. I would just like to say well done to Ulster Trio, Catherine Dean, Claire Bowles and Claire McLaughlin, who have all been named to the Ireland squad for the Women's Six Nations. Well done indeed, friend of the podcast, Claire McLaughlin. So that's it. Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, you off you go and enjoy your 12 pubs of Christmas, Jonathan. Yeah, I have nothing to say. But Do you want to break get, into a bit of slate or something just, like that? Uh, I want to thank, get me out of here. Yeah, Merry Christmas and thank. this is what, is this our last podcast of the year? So thanks for staying with us through all our many difficulties throughout the year on this podcast here we are the World Cup threw this banner in the works but here we are yeah. we're here now uh, back on full Ulster duty so yeah we'll we'll talk to you again um, after the car match bye